Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David? Yeah. How you doing? I'm rejuvenated. All right. Good for you. It's been a week since our last episode. Yeah. A full week. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, pee pee on the curtain. It's been about three minutes since we finished the last episode. Yeah. Um, Finished is, I think, a generous word. Since we stopped recording the last episode. Yeah. and uh yeah we're still kind of wiped from doing the commentaries but uh you can uh get yourself all exhausted with enjoyment and laughter by listening to our commentary our our latest uh commentaries uh yourself there uh we're doing the we did the first four harry potter movies in Mm -hmm. the fall we'll do the second four to make a complete uh set um and it it was the longest commentary marathon we've ever done uh it's available at battleshipretention.com they're 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 what uh three dollars a piece they're three bucks each three bucks, but if you buy all four which is how we you know intend you to listen to it that's yeah. why we recorded it that way mm-hmm. it's only 10 bucks so you save money it's a way to support the show because that money goes you know it doesn't really go into our pockets it's good it goes yeah. back into equipment and you know travel and accommodations and right. stuff for for festivals um and conventions and, and the stuff that we that we cover uh so it's a way to support the show and the website uh without us just asking you to give us money we're actually right. providing content uh so yeah. a lot of fun in this case in the area of 10 hours of content yeah the longest roughly. one we've done yeah so yeah that means it's but we're not doing we're not charging any more for it so that means it's a steal right yeah it's a buck of, it's a buck an hour uh, yeah, that's not bad for uh, sparkling entertainment. Exactly. So yeah, that's uh, that's available at battleshipretention.com. It should be on. I mean, as of recording, this is not on the website yet, but I'm assuming it'll be at the top of the left column on the homepage. Stands to reason. That's yes. where the premium, the latest premium content usually yeah. goes. Uh, so yeah, you can find it there. Anyway, uh, who's this episode brought to you by? This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Okay, so... Uh, because we're recording this in advance, I don't actually know uh, what uh, is available at Mubi, but one thing I can guarantee... There's 30 great movies there, so yeah. <laughs> you can uh, head on over to Movie. But there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Movie free for a month. Just go to Movie.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Or head on over to the uh, left-hand column, as David mentioned, of BattleshipPretension.com and click on the Movie ad. And I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. See, that's where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them every day of our lives, pretty much every day when we're not uh, recording, um, <laughs> you know, uh, 15 hours in one weekend of yeah. podcast material. Um, this weekend, let's see. Last week, I talked about sleep. I started listening to the new A Perfect Circle album. It's not off to a great start, um, but I really, don't really think any of their stuff has been that great since the first album. Uh, I agree. <laughs> Um, but uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll check back in next week and let you know how the Perfect Circle album turned itself around. Uh, but probably not. Anyway, but you, in any case, it sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. So you can find those at tweakedaudio.com at a low, low price. Uh, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. 
It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay. Tyler? Yes. I hate when you do that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, um, because you know there's a reason why I pause. Yeah, I know. All right. And then it screws me up when I'm trying to edit the episode. All right. So, um... Let's get into it, shall we? Okay. We have a guest. We'll get to him in a second. Um, actually, you know what? No. Let's get to the guest first. Okay. Then we'll, dis- d- d- we'll introduce the episode. So the guest is longtime friend of Battleship Retention, longtime friend of me and Tyler, mm-hmm. and the Battleship Retention resident musicologist and host of the incomparable Musical Notation podcast. It is my favorite podcast, and I am including the ones that I host. <laughs> <laughs> it's West Anthony. Happy Earth Day, everybody. <laughs> Enjoy some Earth while you can. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not doing anything. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah Earth Day, and uh, it was just 4:20. It's just a convergence of. Uh, oh yeah, that was that was Friday. I don't I don't care. <laughs> so Friday was 4:20. Yesterday was record store record day. Store day. Today is Earth Day. Yeah. So Man, you know, should, I'm, I'm into two Monday. out of three of those days. They should give us Monday off of work because of all the 420 <laughs> record store day Earth Day parties. Well, I took Friday joint off. Parties would be good. Yeah. Because because yeah, well I you know I guess I, I camped out in line in front of Amoeba Records. So yeah, that's sounds like he got some good stuff. I got a lot of good stuff. I, I pulled an all nighter, then got home about noon yesterday, went to bed, woke up uh, about 8 p.m. Open, open my records, recorded this week's episode of my podcast, went back to bed. So I'm feeling like a hundred bucks. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, yeah, I was going to say, how are you? But uh, sounds like in the neighborhood of a hundred bucks, neighborhood of a C note. That's how you, how you, how you're doing. Uh, so, okay. In uh, uh sadder transition. <laughs> um, yeah. So our episode, you've probably noticed by looking down at your, I'm assuming MP3 player. Right. Uh, you probably got one of those, uh, you know, iPods or Zooms, the things they don't make anymore, or the uh, Neil Young Toblerone thing. Um, what? Uh, <laughs> Neil Young. I, I don't think that thing plays podcasts. So it doesn't. <laughs> it, it makes sense. Yeah, it's called a Pono. Neil Young. I'm not sure that he was in the lab and actually like invented this himself, but he seems to have had a hand in the promotion of a, an MP3 player called a Pono, which is shaped like a Toblerone. So yeah, super convenient to walk around with in your pocket. Uh, unlike those bulky iPods. Uh, <laughs> anyway, if you've looked down at uh, the little readout and uh, you've noticed that the the number of the episode uh, ends in a zero but is not divisible by 50. Um, and therefore, you have, because you were a longtime astute and observant listener, you have surmised that this is a profile episode. Uh, now, we're doing something we're making a habit of, uh, which is what I, why I said it was a sadder transition. We're profiling someone who has passed away. Yes. I think, was the last one we did, Harry Dean Stanton? I believe so, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I mean, as of this recording, we've got plenty of candidates uh, yeah. for the next one, sadly. Um, but uh, today we'll be talking about the uh, just uh, guttingly short career, I would say, of composer Johan Johansson. Is that how we're saying this? Yep. Yes. So uh, let's, like I said before, let's get into it. 
Yeah, um, it's it's a shame. They still haven't disclosed what it was that uh, felled him, but yeah, he just died uh, in February, the age of 48, which yeah. is you know, it's really short. So, But he had a pretty lengthy and distinguished career. Uh, he came from uh, Iceland. And uh, he got into, he started out as, uh, as a musician in a sort of uh, rock band in the late 80s called Daisy Hill Puppy Farm, which is a, a Peanuts reference for people who are familiar <laughs> with that. Um, I didn't I've, know that. Yeah, I've listened to some of their stuff online. It's, it's fairly of its time as far as like, you know, late 80s, early 90s rock. So, you know, but it's, it's okay. There's nothing to jump up and down about, but I mean, I, I thought it was all right. Um, and then he eventually sort of drifted into, you know, sort of more uh, combining uh, electronic music with uh, more natural uh, instruments. And, when, of course, that eventually led into combining electronics with orchestral elements, which is the sort of thing that uh, naturally is going to attract uh, filmmakers who need a score for their movies. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that he started getting into in the early 2000s. Um, so we can start with uh, one. This now I have to say the funny thing about this episode is there's several movies that we're going to be listening to music from that I haven't seen. Some of which is just because uh, they're not here yet here in America, and then there's right. a couple that you know uh, just they're just not available. His earlier work from you know Iceland or Norway or Sweden or wherever these movies were from, um, I just I couldn't get a hold of them. You know, I was looking, but I just couldn't find them. So uh, the first one, this, this is an example of that. Uh, the first one is from a, a Swedish film called Dis. I don't know what Dis is. D-I-S? <laughs> yeah. So, but I only know that it's a movie about, uh, apparently it's about a woman who's like looking for her father. Uh, but this is, uh, it, it's, it's a really cool soundtrack. It's from the period before he really started getting into more orchestral elements. So it's, there's parts of it that really, I think wouldn't be out of place in like a sixties Italian comedy. I really like the sound of this bit. All right. So we're going to play it now.
Okay. Okay. Let's find, guess, in the future, I, let's find a way, a better way to transition yeah. back into the show than me going, okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this. Now, um, so the next movie is another one that I haven't seen, and I know even less about this one. It's a movie called Copenhagen Dreams. And this is one where he really started getting more into uh, the electronic instrumentation. And then there's also, you know, some, some violin in here as well that he, he incorporates into the score. So he's, you can sort of feel the progression. He's moving into that area. that's more just fully combining electronic and, uh, and orchestral elements. So he's moving in that direction with this film, uh, Copenhagen dreams, Copenhagen dreams.
All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, do you have, before we move on, do you have anything to say about where we where we are so far? Uh, me? I don't know. I, this is now he's this is where we're going to get into more stuff that people will be more familiar with where he's working more with uh, uh, American filmmakers or at least filmmakers who are getting work in Hollywood, particular uh, Denis Villeneuve. Uh, that's that's really like the, the major uh, filmmaker composer collaboration that we'll be looking at here because they were they did worked on several movies right. together. I guess my question about the the two tracks we've heard already. I guess like what what are we hearing that is that we will fight, hear more of in the tracks to come, and what won't we hear more of in the tracks to come? Well, that's the thing. I think the thing that we're going to hear less of is just pure sort of electronic instrumentation and electronic sounds because again this is this is a period where he's going to be moving more towards combining electronic sounds and effects with more traditional orchestral elements uh and in particular this next one this is like a sort of a, a big jump forward in in terms of that and this is a film that actually it came to me uh because of you guys uh, people who uh, if you go to the battleship pretension website you'll find a review that i wrote for a dvd collection by the experimental filmmaker bill morrison mm-hmm. and this was one of the films in that collection the the miners hymns uh this is a film that uh, is basically about the miners strikes in england uh during the 1980s and so for this film Johansson combines electronic elements with a brass band. And there's also, I believe, a, a pipe organ in there. But what's significant about that is that see, all of these coal miners in Yorkshire and in various parts of uh, northern England uh, in the 1800s and the early 1900s and on into, there's, there's still some around today. A lot of these coal miners would form brass bands. And they would just, you know, get together on a Sunday afternoon in church or after church and, you know, play in in the town square or at picnics in the park. And then they would have competitions. All these brass bands would get together. And I know this is a thing that's still going on today. Um, And it's something that I sort of fell down a rabbit hole of colliery bands. That's what the kind of band that they're referred to. (laughs) I started looking at at videos on on YouTube because uh, I just, for starters, I really like the sound of it. And also, I just like the idea that there's a bunch of people working together in these, you know, hideous conditions, and then to sort of blow off steam, no pun intended, they form these bands and just play this really beautiful music. So, Johansson took that colliery band sound and combined it, again, with, as I said, with a pipe organ and uh, more electronic instrumentation, and it creates this sort of beautiful hybrid that perfectly, I think, complements the, the visuals that Bill Morrison came up with for this film. So, uh, yeah, the Miner's Hymns, if you get the chance to see it, it's just a great movie. Uh, Bill Morrison is a guy who, when he makes these sort of like vaguely documenty, documentary films, but they aren't like talking heads, looking into the camera, there's no narration, it's just visuals and music. That's one of the, f- the really cool things about Bill Morrison, and then that allows him the opportunity to work with all kinds of great composers. He did uh, another film uh, about well, like one of the big Mississippi floods with, um, now I'm blanking out on the guy's name, but Bill Frizzell was a really great sort of avant jazz guitarist. And he does stuff like that. So this, I, I really like Bill Morrison's work and this film, I think is one of his better films, uh, the Miner's hymns.
Oh, no, uh, okay. So <laughs> right. I just wanted to mention that. Uh, yeah, I adored this piece of music. I found it just so inspiring and emotional and, you know, uh, and I, I seem to recall, I think you had, like, I knew about this film. I think you had described it, uh, to me in, in some capacity and it just, it felt, it sounds strange. It felt right. Like listening to this music and knowing the context, even not having seen the film, it just felt like I felt a swell of of inspiration and beauty, and I just uh, I, have, I have larger things to say about Johan Johansson a little bit later, but um, but this definitely I've liked I've liked all the tracks that we've listened to, but this is the one that really made me like sit up and pay attention because um, of course I was familiar with you know stuff from Arrival and Prisoners and that sort of thing, but but this is the one I hadn't heard it before, and I thought this is really uh, astounding. Yeah, and, and it does have a very inspirational quality. But in fact, this particular track that we played is called "The Cause of Labor Is the Hope of the World," which uh, I really like. I just like yeah. I just like the name. You don't even have to play it for me, and I'm inspired. <laughs> yeah, it's a, but you don't know what you, I, I would imagine if I just saw that title. I would assume, oh, is this some Billy Bragg song I haven't heard? <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be expecting uh, a Johan Johansson, yeah. you know, piece of atmospheric. My first thought would be like, okay, so we're going to hear some Russian music, right? <laughs> it does kind of have a quality of that. Uh, well, I, that might be a good time to get into uh, have, is there Are there any biographical details about Johan Johansson that you uh, wanted to bring up? No, I mean, I, I mentioned his, his earlier uh, career in uh, yeah. more conventional rock music, but that, uh, that was really the, the only really interesting thing that I found in his background that I, I thought right. was kind of uh, cool. Hmm. Um, but even, I guess I haven't listened to as much of his earlier stuff as you have, but it's, I guess, more conventional, but it's still not entirely conventional, right? No, I, I don't think it is. That's part of the, that's part of the thing that, that appeals to me about his work, is that this, there are some composers out there who combine electronic uh, elements and orchestral elements. You know, uh, John Powell is a guy who has done that really well with the, like with the, the, the Bourne movies. He, he wrote the scores for those, and, and I think he did some really cool stuff combining uh, orchestral elements with sort of like techno rhythms uh-huh. that I, I thought was really fun. And, and other composers have done stuff like that. Um, Johansson, I think, does it in a much more atmospheric way, and that's one of the things that really, you know, sort of sold me on this guy. Yeah, I think that's kind of the the watchword. I think is atmospheric for a lot of his work, and yeah. and for Bill Morrison's work, or, yeah. or at least what little I've seen of it. Uh, so it makes sense that they work together. Yeah, and so and that I think that atmospheric quality, I think it naturally lends itself to a lot of different kinds of films. So I think it was only natural that he was going to move in that direction. So what are we, uh, what are we listening to next? Okay, so the next one is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good score, but it's really not a very good movie at all. It's called Mechanic, uh, and it's from 2013. Uh, I think maybe the most significant thing about it is that it was the last thing uh, that was done by the actor Corey Monteith, I believe his name was. Oh, he was a guy oh, from, okay. from Glee. Yeah, from Glee, yeah, yeah. and he, he died like very, very early, uh, unfortunately. And I think this was this was his last film. Right, so this is not The Mechanic, the Jason Statham remake. Oh, no, no. And in fact, I mean, this is one of the things that's irritating about it is that it's the name of a guy. David Morse stars in this movie as sort of a, as a crooked cop. It's it's sort of a, a wannabe French connection type, uh-huh. type movie, and he plays that sort of, you know, bad-ass detective who you know 
know, bends the rules and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. But and his name is Mechanic, but it's not Mechanic like an auto mechanic. It's spelled M C C A N I C K, and it's like, oh Jesus Christ, you people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he's he's doing bad things and uh, and and he's chasing after this guy who got out of prison. That's the character that Corey Monteith plays for reasons that uh, only become clear as the film goes on, and it just sort of keeps uh, going back to flashbacks and then coming back to present day as as this character does his search. It's just David Morse is is a great actor. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys who deserves like way better stuff than he's getting, and he does far better work than than these films often deserve. Yeah. So he's great to watch in Mechanic, but the movie itself is just not that good. And I was genuine. I, I still don't know how Johansson got involved with this movie. I think he lost a bet. That's the only thing I, that, that I can think of. But can I just say the the name detective mechanic sounds like something like a little boy would yeah. come up with for like what he wants to be when he grows up. He's going to solve crimes and he's going to fix your car. Yeah. It's like, okay, well that's what we're doing. Like, Oh, we got to chase these criminals, but my car's broken now. It's like, I think I've got the solution here. Hold my beer. No, uh, but yeah, so uh, you can, you can rent the DVD on, on Netflix if you want to see it, but yeah, it's, it's a movie I'm afraid I can't recommend to anybody, but then the music is still good. So we can listen to that. Let's listen to it now.
So uh, looking at the IMDb page for Mechanic, uh, it's always fun to see like what the top user review is, um, <laughs> like the, just the one sample they give. So it says, dark and deceitful cat and mouse game. Uh, so that's the, the, the subject or the title or whatever. And so and the first thing is, David Morse is a messed up badass cop. <laughs> just, I just appreciate that. But then uh, right underneath that is the 28 meta score, uh, based on admittedly only on uh, nine reviews. But uh, but yeah, David Morse is just that kind of actor that he just he's in movies that aren't that great, and he classes them up, and it makes you wish you were in better you were in better movies. Yeah, he's in some really good stuff too. Of course, oh yes, yes oh sure. Uh, the slaughter rule is uh, something we've talked about a lot. He was great when he was on Treme. I know not, not a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, not as many people who uh, watch Treme as watch The Wire, obviously. Uh, but he was great on Treme, and not a lot of people watch The Wire either. Yes, <laughs> that's true. That's, that's one of those shows that eight people are always going to mention, and everybody else is going to be like, "Yeah, sure," and then they're never going to watch it. Oh, okay. I've been. All right. I know a lot more people that have been meaning to watch The Wire than have actually watched it. <laughs> yeah, well, th- those those are in that group. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it and I love it, but I don't talk about it because every time I hear somebody else talking about it, I can just feel the person they're talking to just seething with annoyance. It's like, well, I, my favorite, and I like The Wire, my favorite critique of The Wire comes from uh, uh, a guy that I know, you know who this is, AP Mike, who's right. the producer of The Best Show, Call Screen The Best Show, and he, he said, it's like we're all going to get degrees at the end, which is my, my favorite critique ever. Uh, I think about it all the time. All right, uh, but that's not about John Johansson. He did yeah, not work sorry. on the wire. Okay, so uh, after mechanic, yeah. which is off-putting to say, knowing yeah. that I'm saying well. it in a, uh, a dumb spelling of it. <laughs> yeah, after that, this now and in, 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 this was in the same year too. This began his uh, collaboration with uh, Denis Villeneuve or Villeneuve. I, I'm never sure how to pronounce this I guy's think it's name. Denis. Okay. Yeah. See, I know he's, he's French Canadian. Yes. So that it just creates all kinds of problems for me. But anyway, so this was the fir- the first film that they did together, which was Prisoners, which is just a really, really dour movie. That's a good word for it. O- overly so, in my opinion. And there's a lot of good in that movie, though. Like it's visually great. I think Hugh Jackman is doing great work. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is doing great work. And I think it's I, I think it's a, a really great score as well. It is, and yeah, there there is great stuff in the movie, and it's spread out over a very long period of time. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's that's another part problem. of the problem. Is that that movie? It's like it's what two hours and forty minutes long. It's, I think. Yeah, it's too long, and it just felt a lot longer than it needed to be. I think maybe that's because of the mood. I think if it were a more chipper work, then maybe we wouldn't mind hanging around with it for that long. But I don't know. I, it I, it feels like we're damning it with faint praise, but we're damning it with a lot of great praise actually <laughs> so no but yeah this was their the first film that they collaborated on together would not be the last and uh i it, i think it's a really great score
Okay, so now, and the funny thing is, so if, you, if you're listening to all this music, uh, a lot of it definitely feels pretty, pretty dark, pretty heavy, pretty serious. And now here's something completely different. It's, it actually kind of stunned me when I saw this movie and I saw that Johansson had written the score for this because I'm listening to the score and it's like, wait, this is the same guy? Because there's really just about nothing in the way of electronic elements. This is mostly, more or less a purely orchestral score and it's beautiful. Uh, the film is The Theory of Everything uh, directed by James Marsh and it's the film about uh, the, the science guy in the wheelchair that we all uh, love and adore. And <laughs> It's and of course it's it's a beautiful sort of romantic drama as well as the story about science and all that kind of stuff. But Johansson really his score really hits the hits it on the nose with the romantic elements. And again, I was just really just confounded and stupefied <laughs> listening to this music because it really didn't feel like the same guy. And it just goes to show you, uh, and this is something that doesn't just apply to music, but to all kinds of different things, that uh, a really good artist should be able to come up with whatever it is that you need, regardless of genre, regardless of style. Um, and this is something that Johansson did really well. It's, it's so atypical. Uh, I have really found myself wishing that he would you know, do more stuff like this, but you know, unfortunately it really isn't the case. So this is a really uh, wondrous anomaly. Uh, and if you haven't seen the theory of everything, I, I, I liked it very much. I don't know about you guys, but, um, well, let's listen to music first. <laughs> Thank you. 
so my thing on uh, the theory of everything, I think I like the, um, uh, I like the the first part. I like the I like the romantic part of the movie more than I like the 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 you know Lou Gehrig's disease part of the of the movie. You know what I mean? Um, but in terms of the the score, it, it, just in general, yeah, it's so it's different than what we've been listening to. Is different from what is you know what we know from Johan Johansson. But I I think there's something maybe a uh there's a, a a yearning a melancholy i think that is there in all of his work and would i don't know would you say that it's here as well uh i think there's there's definitely a touch of that here i i don't know that i hear that in all of his work i mean definitely really? not in the next thing we're gonna listen to <laughs> okay um <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure what that is yet, uh, but um, maybe it's how I define yearning is different from other people. Um, but I, I do wonder, on the one hand, like, it doesn't surprise me that Johan Johansson is talented enough to do something. It surprises me that James Marsh thought of him. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I wonder how that happened. Like, how did yeah. he end up getting attached to this movie? Yeah, it, it's it's weird. I mean, maybe he just saw something there that it, nobody else had recognized at the time. But uh, I'm glad that he did it. Yeah, it's like when uh, it's like when Carter Burwell does the music for The Blind Side, and he's like, "What? Well, how on earth did John Lee Hancock arrive there? Like, right. did he watch like The Man Who Wasn't There and said like, ah, this is the person yeah. for my upbeat football movie?' I know, it, it reminds me of almost like how Michael Jackson got wanted like. Eddie Van Halen to play guitar and it's, it's just like well people tell me he's the best I don't care <laughs> it has anything to do with what I'm doing I'm told that this guy's the best it my daughter really likes him <laughs> <laughs> okay well yeah the next film is Sicario mm-hmm. which is the the next collaboration that uh, Johansson did with uh, Villeneuve and yeah the, I don't I don't feel a lot of yearning in this movie well there's one yeah. guy who's yearning for bloody vengeance but yeah. apart from that <laughs> it's mean, a little more foreboding yeah than I mean, it's, it's it sounds like a horror movie it does movie. i mean it's an incredibly hardcore piece of music and and the movie itself i mean i think is fairly hardcore i mean it just uh it's very uncompromising i don't even know how they're going to do a sequel with this movie i understand that there's one in the works yeah and i kind of wish they wouldn't do it because Me this too. movie i think i think it's fantastic and I would like to see it just sort of stand on its own. But uh, yeah, and, and the score for this movie, and particularly the piece that I picked, it's just, uh, it's it's almost downright oppressive, the sound of it. I mean, he more or less does away with uh, orchestral elements, and it's the score is just overwhelming uh, electronic elements. And this one in particular, it's just, yeah, it, it's just really, really harsh. And by the way, this and the theory of everything both got him uh, Oscar nominations. Yeah. I think there should have been more, but these are the only two that he got.
So yeah, once again, you've picked a movie that I think you like the movie a little more than I do, but I think we're in agreement on the, on the music. I think the music was my favorite part of Sicario, uh, than the cinematography, but, um, it's weird. I found the, I found the movie to be too oppressive for me, <laughs> but the, but the music fits that. And yet yep. it, it, the music is, I think, I guess to keep it in musical terms, I feel like the movie is more one note than the score is. I don't know. Do you guys feel I, like, I, you, I like, you really like Sicario? Yeah. yeah. Um, it wasn't necessarily one of my favorites of that year, but it was up there. I think because it surprised me, I just, the movie kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, Oh yeah. All right. I, it looked okay. I like Benicio del Toro. Let's give it a watch. And I was like, what, what is this thing that's just out of nowhere? Yeah, you come out of the theater and you feel like you've just been thrown down a flight of stairs by a movie. <laughs> yeah, and it's and I, I do think this is something I've been thinking about um, lately because of a, of a talk that I'm going to be doing at the International Christian Film Festival. Uh, I've been thinking about like the various elements of a film that can inform the other elements and uh and yes i do think that the score in sicario is part of the larger tapestry of the film i don't feel like it's just completely counterintuitive but i do think that if the score were even just a little lighter i feel like the film would be a little bit lighter but i think this score is saying like no like you i mean there are moments uh like josh brolin's character is kind of light he's wearing like flip-flops and he's and he could be seen as is sort of a as sort of a, a comic relief type character yeah but with this, I, don't know, I think the way that he presents himself makes me distrust him even more no that's what i like and yeah there's a lot and there's a lot of things that i like about that character but also with music like that it's like no no, no there is no comic relief here this guy has seen some horrible things, and for him to act like this, having seen the things he's seen, makes him maybe the villain. I'm not quite sure. Like, it's just a film. It's it's a film and a score that keeps you on edge, and it's not pleasant to listen to. Nope. But it's it's everything that I think. Because there are some musical scores that you can listen to on their own, like ah, oh, this is nice. And then there are some that's like, no, this goes with the film, uh-huh. and only that. You will not listen to the. I feel like uh, yeah. If, if you're on a cross country drive and this pops up on, <laughs> yeah. on, on your iPod, it's like uh, you'd just be leaping to press the button and to switch it to something else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, just as a PSA, <laughs> if you're driving and this song comes on. Pull over. over. <laughs> Wait for the song to end. <laughs> Keep the lights on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, in my mind, like emotionally, I associate this score with the score to uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Like, oh. just I know they're not that similar, but like the feeling in in me, they're both just yeah. this intense. Well, thing. yeah. There's definitely uh, elements, similar similarities uh, in in parts of the score for Mad Max Fury Road, but also one of the things that I really loved about that score, and one of the things that made it one of my favorites of that year, is that uh, Tom Holkenborg, uh, aka Junkie XL, yeah. uh, he also put in some very uh, beautiful tragic mournful orchestral passages that are actually my favorite part of that score. Mm-hmm. So, and whereas there's there's nothing like that in Sicario. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Junkie XL has done a lot of scores to movies that I haven't seen, um, but I I do like him. Uh, he just recently did the the Tomb Raider remake, which is um, oh, okay. Uh, 
it's not a terrible movie. It's just that's the be- the best I can say about it is that it's not a terrible movie. Yeah. But I do like the score. Yeah, he's he's doing really good work. I'm I'm always interested to see what Hulkenborg is coming up with, and I don't know. Uh, some people feel comfortable calling him Hulkenborg. Some people feel comfortable calling him Junkie XL. I mean, it, it kind of depends on the company. Sometimes it's like you're, you don't want to say Junkie XL in front of your grandma or something like that. <laughs> that's, it's just not going to go well. Uh, uh, I think I'll actually. I think I'll use this opportunity to to speak large uh, in a larger way about Johan Johansson um, because because we're talking about Junkie XL and I feel like there's it's not that again it's not that that he's new he's you know Johansson had been making music for a while um, but as far as like kind of coming more onto the scene and be, becoming more well known amongst movie people and and some mainstream people as well. Um, I feel like there's kind of a new-ish, new doesn't feel right, but whatever, uh, a new crop of composers hmm. that are just fascinating, be- often because they do things that are count- counterintuitive. Um, I put him alongside, like, Mika Levy. Yes, definitely. And and even I know that Johnny Greenwood's been around for a while, but like he does stuff that's just stuff that they, they do things that sometimes could be seen as atonal, but they're completely right for the movie. They heavily inform how you're supposed to think of the movie. Yeah, and and some of them are incredibly atonal. Johnny Greenwood's <laughs> works, but but it, it does it does fit the material. And it's exciting. It's exciting to see like what these composers are doing, which makes it so much you know much. Like just so sad that Johansson died when he did because I think he could have done like so much more amazing stuff. Yeah, I mean there was a lot of potential for him to just you know move up and up and to do all kinds of really great things, and that's that's what makes all this so tragic. And that's why I'm glad you guys are doing this here episode. Uh, he does seem to be a part of the thing, uh, and I'm glad we have you West here to uh, uh, to talk about this because you'll probably have a better sense of this. It seems like there was a time when there wasn't that much of a divide between you know things like movie scores and pop music like things could sort of cross over and then it seemed like we went through a few decades where they were very separate we were just talking weirdly on the we got off topic on the harry potter commentary we were talking about the score to ransom which was done by james horner and billy corgan but separate not working together like separate uh and now it seems like we're coming back to people like jockey xl johan johansson uh flying lotus has done scores the uh the guy who did the good time scores i think i don't know how one oh tricks point never but i'm told that's not how you say it yeah Uh, i don't know I don't know how to pronounce his name either, but he did really good work on that movie too. Yeah, so it seems, and, and those are guys who have careers in maybe not mainstream pop, yeah. but like indie pop music. Like there's right. there's less of a divide. And also, then you have guys like Hans Zimmer who are bringing in people from the pop realm, like you know Pharrell Williams. They collaborated on like the the Spider Man score, and uh, Zimmer has also worked with Johnny Marr like a couple of times. Johnny yeah. Marr played guitar in the score for Inception, and then they co-wrote a score together for a film that uh, I can't remember the name of, but it was one with uh, Julianne Moore as a New Jersey uh, police detective, and she's in love with uh, Ellen Page, and then she's dying of cancer, and then oh, they have to right. fight oh, for oh, uh, Free Held. Free Held, that's it. Go. Yeah, which I think this was the name of the city where they lived. And yeah, Johnny Marr and and Hans Zimmer, they did the score together for for that movie. I, th- I thought that was uh, it was really good. It is also interesting incidentally looking at again like the 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 direction that scores seem to be going and that somebody like a Hans Zimmer who I think was maybe pushed by somebody like Christopher Nolan but 
he's doing some of the most fascinating stuff of his career right now. Um, and I think because he's steering more into this, for lack of a better term, experimental type of um, scoring, uh, it is a shame that Johan Johansson did not do the score for Blade Runner. I think he would have done amazing things, but I also think the score on its own is still pretty great. Yeah, well, he did write a score for Blade Runner. Oh. But... Uh, Villanova decided that it, he wanted to go in a different direction. And this is weird because this is a thing that happened to Johansson twice in the span of two years. Hmm. So, And these are both things that I, I am really hoping that they will come out at some point oh, yeah. in the future. Because... Uh, because it's it's happened with other composers like Alex North, which I, I mentioned in my episode on uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Kubrick uh, contracted Alex North to write a score for the film, and Alex North wrote about 40 minutes for like the first half of 2001, and Kubrick just discarded it. Years later, it was recorded, uh, conducted by Jerry Goldsmith, who was uh, a friend and associate of uh, Alex North, and then later still, the original recordings that were you know, that, that were done in 1968, uh, those were eventually really released as well. So I have both of those. Um, it's one of the great sort of rejected scores. And hmm. yeah, there's two scores like that. Johansson wrote a score, allegedly, for Blade Runner 2049. Uh, it was not used. And yeah, they went with uh, Hans Zimmer and then another guy whose name I can't remember. And then also, uh, he wrote a score for Mother, because you have to say it loud because there's an exclamation <laughs> point <laughs> at the end. Uh, and that score was also not used in the film. Wow. Uh, um, yeah. It, okay, this is an episode we have to do someday, right? Rejected scores? Yes. Uh, yeah, well, be... after I do mine, because I, I, ha- I have a whole, there's, there's a whole list. I mean, Ennio Morricone, of all people, has had a score rejected. Okay, yeah. these, these are things that have happened to lots of composers. Uh, you know, that's, that's the thing. I mean, it's happened to Randy Newman. It's happened to this guy. Uh, there was a guy, you know, I can't, I, I'm blanking out on the guy's name, but I mean, Jerry Goldsmith did not write the first score for Chinatown. Another guy wrote it, and wow. Polanski said, nope, and chucked it out. And Jerry Goldsmith came in within, like, oh, 11 days and wrote the score. For wow. One of the greatest scores of his career, by the yeah. way. Um, there's another, uh, not a classic movie by any sense, but there's a more recent movie that happened. There was a horror movie earlier this year, late last year, called Wish Upon. That, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the guys, but you know you know Tom and Andy? You know those? Right, yeah. yeah they I came in and with, like... Uh, yeah, just like less a few weeks, maybe. Uh, well, so, well, who was the original? I don't, I, I don't remember. Oh, okay. Um, but, but yeah, so that's the thing. Uh, I'm sure that both of these scores were recorded. There's no doubt in my mind that they were recorded, and I'm really hoping that at some point they we get to hear them. Yeah, because I'm very curious to know what uh, his work sounded like on Mother and, and Blade Runner 2049, particularly um, that last one, because I the the collaboration between Johansson and Villeneuve was just so potent. I would mm-hmm. kept I was hoping that they would just yeah. keep making movies together forever. Yeah. And when I heard that Villeneuve was going to be directing Blade Runner 2049, I was like, Yes, this is going to be awesome. Partially because I think he's a fine director and I wanted to see what he would do with the material, but also because then I knew that Johansson was going to come in and he was going to write a score. And again, he would have been the perfect guy to do that because the combination of electronic elements and orchestral elements, because in Blade Runner, of course, the whole thing is you have the 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 whole issue of what is human and what is not human. Uh I mean, it's it's a perfect combination and it did not come to fruition. It's really frustrating to me. Um, And it's and it's interesting. um, the movie Enemy, which I don't really like that much, but that's a very oppressive movie as well. And it's interesting that uh, Johansson didn't do the score for that either. It was uh, there are two credited 
composers Danny Bensi and Sonder Urians. Well, I think, I mean, Enemy came out after Prisoners, but I think he made it first. Maybe yeah, he just didn't maybe. know Johan Johansson yet, right? That might have been the case. Um, yeah, because they were Possibly, both those yeah. movies were at the same Toronto Film Festival, which is weird. Yeah, Enemy um, is 2013. I think Prisoners is also yeah, the, 2013. Yeah, that's 2013. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, real quick before we move on when we were talking about Junkie XL we forgot to mention what I think is he is probably best known for even if people don't know that which is co-writing the Wonder Woman theme with Hans Zimmer yes which was used now they did they did not score the Wonder Woman movie but they used the theme for Batman vs Superman and all you know respect to the guy who did score Wonder Woman the best the best piece of music in the movie is the is the theme that is yeah the cool theme that's that's yeah. one of my favorites yeah I thought that was great and I, I hope they keep using it because that's yeah. part of the thing is that sometimes, you know, a director will say, well, I don't want to use this, do the same thing everybody else was doing. And that's why, like, you know, I have, you have a couple of Superman movies where they're not using John Williams' theme. But then I think they, they did bring it back for that, the, the, the Justice League movie. Yeah. Oh, I think. Okay. And Dan, the Danny Elfman. Yeah, Danny Batman. Elfman. Well, yeah, Danny Elfman scored the movie and he brought in the original Superman theme and his, his Batman theme. Because he Thus he believed both. he believed that there should be that kind of continuity. <laughs> and I agree with him completely. All right, let's let's move on. Okay, so the next movie is the third collaboration between Johansson and Villeneuve, Arrival, mm-hmm. which, uh, I mean, I like science fiction to begin with. Uh, it's one of my favorite genres, and I particularly like, you know, science fiction that's rooted in, in some kind of reality, although I love flying saucers and robots and, and ray guns that go zap. Um, I, I love... I love this movie. I really do because mm-hmm. I love move science fiction movies that have a, a somewhat intellectually challenging element to them. And this one, uh, wow! Yeah. <laughs> I, I this movie made me feel like a dumbass. But that's one of the things that I liked about <laughs> it. It's I, I I've seen it like several times because I, I have a copy of it and I I just keep returning to it because uh, it's it's really thought provoking and fascinating. And Johansson's score, uh, I thought it was it, this score is really bold and innovative and unique and it really killed me that he did not get any Oscar consideration for it. Not even a nomination. Nothing. And it's insane. And when you listen to this piece, I think you'll know why. Because one of the things that he's doing in this score is he is co- uh, combining you know, the electronic and orchestral elements, but he's also introducing human voices. And the human voices in the score, they're not like, you know, it's not like a choir and it's not like they're singing a song. They're just singing sort of seemingly random syllables, which I thought was the perfect complement to the notion of human beings and aliens trying to establish some kind of communication between each other. It was just, it was perfect what he did with this score. And again, it just, just really just cheesed me off that it didn't get the kind of recognition that it deserved weird reason right like like uh some technical thing like there was there were bits in the score that were from something else I'm i hadn't something i hadn't even i hadn't heard that okay and but even if, if that was the case again that's that's a total bullshit argument i've just i've i've demonstrated why that's a bullshit argument multiple times in the past <laughs> yeah they you know, when, pulled that shit. yeah whenever they they say that there's something else going on behind it because i i can always point to a movie where there's been right. previously used material and it got nominated anyway so the right palm didn't get greased the, the, yeah, or, it's just some, or it's just a prejudice of some kind right. but in this case I really just haven't a clue because like I said the guy's been nominated twice before mm-hmm. and I really just didn't see any reason not to nominate him for this one and it didn't happen so well let's uh, let's check it out 
Yeah, so this is Arrival is the movie that I where I learned to like Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, I need. Yeah. To, I should probably go back and rewatch Prisoners and Sicario. I rewatched Enemy, and I 
Maybe liked it a little more, but it didn't. Just I don't think you need to rewatch but, Prisoners. Okay. I, I don't, <laughs> my, my viewpoint hasn't changed on that, and uh, I don't think I'm ever going to like Sicario more than I do, and I like it very much. Uh, Arrival, I think, that's the thing, Arrival, I think, is really just a, a big step forward for him mm-hmm. as a director, and, that, and, and I just, I, I, I know I'm fawning over this movie, but I can't say enough good things about it. This is part of the reason, I feel like as a... You know, my whatever my persona is as a critic, I feel like I shouldn't be uh, excited or, or openly excited about like the big end of the year studio awards bait releases. But I am because sometimes we get stuff like Arrival, yeah, and frankly Blade Runner, even though that was a summer release, right? Uh, um, no, that came out in October. Okay, yeah. okay, so, so uh, yeah, I went to I see mean, it for my birthday. Basically, like sometimes art films sneak through <laughs> you know well and science fiction and also is art i understand but, uh, yeah. science fiction is like so rarely honored by the academy in any kind of meaningful way but like arrival like yeah picture director surprisingly not actress which is crazy because yeah, that was she's nuts. amazing uh i did okay so i looked it up uh arrival was disqualified um due to uh, the fact that it contains some borrowed music, including pieces of Max Richter's On the Nature of Daylight that are played at pivotal moments at the start and end of the film. The Academy's music branch says most voters can't be expected to differentiate between these unoriginal pieces and Johansson's work. So that's... Nope. Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't I worry. I buy that for a minute. He's nominated for a BP. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> well, that, that's just some consolation, I guess. Uh, yeah, but I mean, look, you all listen to that that music. I I think you'll agree. It's 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 really stunning. I, I, it's magnificent. Uh, I I can't say enough good things about it. And it, it you know just it just the thought of it just makes me want to go and watch the movie again. Yeah, I wish I had time, but I don't. <laughs> all right, should we move on then? Okay, so now uh, basically this his last three things. Um, they, you know, he's. I mean, like I said, he he passed away in February, and a couple of these things had already premiered by that time. Uh, one of which, you know, we don't. I don't even have the music for it yet. I don't know that. It, I don't think it's available. But I guess he did a movie that premiered at Sundance. It starred uh, Nicolas Cage called Mandy. Have you heard yep. about the movie? Did you I saw the movie. Okay, yeah. was it, it good? It's great. And yeah, it, the fact that it was the first thing I thought of when he when he passed away because it was only a few weeks after right sundance uh, and i was like oh that's yeah i was like that's terrible the music for mandy is so great yeah um and he's clearly like uh, i think maybe much like in a very different way than he did with james marsh but he's tailoring himself to the filmmaker and panos cosmato's like his whole uh, aesthetic is sort of like 80s like VHS B movie horror. Oh, <laughs> Do you really? know what I mean? And okay. so there's a lot more like like high pitched synth and like the kind of stuff you yeah. hear in those kind of scores. Oh wow! Uh, in in the Mandy score. Okay, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I don't know. Nicholas Cage is like I could sort of you know go one way or the other with him, but I, I'd be very interested to hear what Johansson did for this movie. So and I've I've heard about what it's about more or less, and it's like it's it's kind of intriguing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's pretty it's kind of a standard like revenge story yeah but it in some ways it's not standard because it's really really trippy and there's like some bikers that are not entirely human uh hmm. and it's it's also insanely violent <laughs> i mean it's very over the top in a way that i liked oh, but okay. caused multiple walkouts at the screening which i wasn't even at the premiere wow. uh, so is, is it like brawl in cell block blah 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 violent or um <laughs> It's it's bloodier. It's more Gonzo than that. I didn't like the brawl in Cell Block ninety nine. Um, 
yeah, Mandy is more of a, it's, it's, there's, there's more like, there's less faces getting crushed. Like there are in Silverback 99 and there's more like ridiculous geysers of, of blood. Like, oh, okay. a, like Nicholas Cage, like, is being attacked by a guy and the guy's on top of him and he slits the guy's throat while he's on top of him and a geyser of blood just shooting all over Nicholas Cage's face and in his mouth when he's just screaming sure. the entire time. It's That's the kind of movie uh, that it is. Okay. But uh, yeah, really, really good, really good score. Wow, okay. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very curious to, to see the movie and, and definitely to hear the score. Um, okay. So now the, this next one, uh, it's a movie that hasn't been released in the United States. It actually premiered in England, like the day either before, no, I'm pretty sure it was like the day before he died. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's a James Marsh's up to oh. the theory of everything. It's a film called the mercy. Uh, it's a film with uh, Colin Firth, and he stars as a guy named Donald Crowhurst. It's a, this is a true story, based on a true story, uh, about this guy, Donald Crowhurst, who entered a round-the-world yacht race that was sponsored by the Sunday Times, a newspaper over there in England, back in 1968. Um, I... You can look up the whole story on Wikipedia, or you can wait for the movie. I'd recommend you wait for the movie, because uh, I I think this story is kind of nutty, and Mm. I really want to see the movie. (laughs) Um, So this is is an excerpt from the score for The Mercy. Unfortunately, like I said, it's it's not here in the United States yet. I'm pretty sure somebody has picked it up for release, and it's going to come out sometime later this year. I mean, it's definitely the kind of thing that I think they might want to put up for Oscar consideration, yeah, considering like that, you know, James Martin, yeah, yeah. And, and everybody likes Colin Firth. I don't know anybody who doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure this movie's going to come out soon, but, you know, since it already came out in England, then you can, you can find, you can get the score online digitally, so that's how I happen to have it. All right, let's give it a listen.
so here again, I think you see that uh, James Marsh is using Johansson more for the the orchestral side of his abilities than the electronic side. Uh, and that's fine. I don't have any problem with it. Again, it's something that uh, I would have liked to see more people, you know, utilize. So after after the theory of everything, I was surprised that people weren't stampeding to Johansson's door to to bring all manner of, of uh, projects to him. Or maybe they did, and he just didn't want to do it. I don't know. So, but that's uh, so that look for that movie when it comes out. Because yeah. I'm again, I'm really looking forward to that one. Sounds good. And. Uh, so now the last one, this one, again, it has been released abroad. I don't know when or how it's going to get to the United States. It was definitely, it was something that was supposed to come out like, I think late last year, but it got caught up in the whole Weinstein thing because it was originally going to be released by the Weinstein company yeah. here in, in America. Uh, I think in time for, uh, Oscar consideration, uh, in the United States it's, it's uh, Garth Davis's follow-up to Lion, which I don't know if you saw that movie. Yeah, no. Okay. Yeah, that, I thought that was a pretty good uh, tear-jerking movie, and it definitely got a lot of... It, it did get some Oscar uh, attention, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. A surprising you know. amount, actually. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a very good movie. I, I, I don't know that... Weinstein still had the juice. <laughs> yes, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so this is Garth Davis's follow-up to that. It's uh, Mary Magdalene, which is a, a biblical movie, uh, clearly, and... Um, uh, Rooney Mara, I believe, uh, stars as Mary Magdalene, and you have uh, Joaquin Phoenix as uh, Jesus. This is the source of that picture that people have shared online. I don't know if you've seen it of Joaquin Phoenix on the cross, and but it's like Rooney Mara. It's clearly during a break, and she's just standing next to Joaquin Phoenix on the cross, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I haven't seen that. Now I really want to. That's, there's, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not a smoker, not a fan of smokers, but I mean, it's like uh, every time I see people smoking in like totally inappropriate circumstances, <laughs> it's always fun. Like anytime there's a doctor smoking, it's a laugh riot to me. And then also, like I have a picture of a of a, a ballerina smoking, and I just like this is this is hysterical to me because ballerinas you think of the last people in the world wow <laughs> that is awesome i'm looking at the picture now everybody yeah. and it's 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 a hoot <laughs> but yeah smoking ballerinas just i mean i can understand why because you know i i understand that it suppresses the appetite and they want to be all real thin and stuff like mm -hmm. that so but uh jesus christ it's like so unhealthy it also seems like you need some you know stamina and 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 stuff <laughs> yeah yeah it's like you don't want to be wheezing when you're out there doing <laughs> Swan Lake or what have you. But um, so, yeah, this is this is uh, Johansson's last score. And again, uh, because it's been released, uh, the film has been released overseas. The, uh, the, the soundtrack is available for purchase uh, digitally. So that's how I have that. And this is also a, a collaboration uh, between him and a, a composer and cellist named uh, Hilder Gudnadotter. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. I know I got Hilder right. Um, and I know she has worked, I think she's she's played on a couple of uh, previous uh, Johansson scores. But I, this one was a collaboration. They wrote this score together. And uh, I, I don't know how much work one did or the other did. I know that uh, Miss Goodnadotter uh, has billing over uh, Johansson. So, you know, make of that what you will. But, um, yeah, I, I, I am curious to see this movie when it comes out. Like I said, I'm, I'm fairly certain it's going to come out in America at some point, yeah. <laughs> but I just don't know when or where, but yeah, this is, this is it. This is well, unfortunately the end of the line for Johan Johansson.
Uh, interestingly, I looked it up on, I'm looking at IMDb right now, and obviously IMDb has to be taken with a grain of salt, but Hild, Hild, Hildur Gudnadotter is apparently attached to Sicario 2. Really? Interesting. Um, uh, so okay, she's, well, then, yeah, yeah see, I, I don't know... I don't know how close those two are, if they were just artistic collaborators if mm-hmm. or if there was something more going on between the two of them. But, I mean, if they certainly, if, at, least, at the very least, if they've collaborated you know, as artists together, I mean, she would definitely be uh, an appropriate person to carry forward his musical styles for that movie, uh, if not uh, you know, other movies in the same vein. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, I'm not super charged up about a Sicario sequel, but... Uh, I do have a certain amount of interest in it, so I, I might check it out. Anything uh, to say about the Mary Magdalene piece we just heard? I mean, when I when I heard it, which admittedly was a, a couple days ago, I didn't have a chance to revisit it uh, before we started recording. Uh, and I mean, it's generic to say, but it's beautiful, and it makes me want to. See, a lot of things about the project makes me want to see the project, but mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, approaching the the story of Jesus from the point of view of Mary Magdalene is not a new concept, but it's not a thing you see in film very much. Certainly mainstream film remains to be seen how mainstream the movie's going to be. Yeah, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, and so it's, it's a slightly, for lack of a better term, off kilter way to approach the story, but one that makes a great deal of sense. And so I feel like um, choosing Johansson to score it makes sense. Like, I feel like he had a certain... I feel like he would come at things sort of from an angle, like he, which is why the the score from uh, Theory of Everything surprised me so much. I wasn't expecting it right. at all, and not to imply it's conventional. It's it's a really great example of the kind of score that movie requires, and um, and so yeah, I'm just based on this this piece, which I enjoyed quite a bit. I'm excited to hear the rest of the score and to see the movie that uh, it accompanies. Yeah, I want to see these movies that you know the last ones that he scored, and also I mean I I kind of broke a rule you know, in the case of these these last two films, The Mercy and Mary Magdalene, and that usually I try not to listen to a score until after I've seen the movie mm-hmm. because I feel like you know both of these things should be experienced at the same time. You know when you go and see a movie the first time, you, you should be able to experience the visual element, the story element, the acting, and the music. All those elements should be you should be taking in all of that in simultaneously. And then later on, if I think that the score is intriguing enough, then I'll get a copy of it and then I'll listen to it independently of the film. That's the way I like to do business. But uh, you know, in this case, because you know the guy is gone, and I was very curious uh, about what this music sounded like. No, I, I had to check it out. And then you know we were able to utilize it for this show. So that's yeah. as worthy an excuse as any. Well, it thank would you be, for saying that. It would be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would be pretty great if, given that he's gone now, and like just in the spirit of, of, you know, looking deeper and exposing his his uh, his music, uh, it would be pretty great if the if his score for Blade Runner was released. Um, do you think it, it? Do you think it will be? I feel like it could be. I feel like it's only a matter of time. I mean, because yeah. there, there's like I said, there are plenty of other people who have written scores that were rejected, and many of them have been released over time. Mm-hmm. And they, particularly because uh, he died so young, 
and he left behind, you know, just a relatively brief, but an incredibly solid and memorable body of work. Yeah. I can imagine that there's going to be plenty of people out there like myself who will be clamoring for, you know, more, whatever it is that he's got out there that, that, you know, that has been unreleased, whatever he's got, you know, on his hard drives or whatever that he was working on and didn't finish. I would love to get my hands on all of it. So, and, and I think there's enough people who are equally interested in his work that, eventually somebody is going to is going to put out this score i imagine that there's probably going to be some rights issues involved mm-hmm. uh and that's that's the only thing that i could imagine holding it up is either rights issues or maybe his estate might not want to you know to to put it out without some kind of guarantees or conditions that sure. might that people might not want to meet so there's always some kind of difficulty going on i mean it's like they just like the other day some they, they finally released uh, Prince's original version of "Nothing Compares to You," which yeah. is, uh, I mean, you know, it's been lying in a vault since the '80s, and it's only because you know he he died, but and he died almost like what a couple of years ago now, and we're only finally starting to get this, and who knows what other because I know he's got enough unreleased tapes to choke a horse, and so far we haven't heard much of anything out of you know out of the Prince's vaults. I'm sh- and I'm sure there's a lot of legal stuff that has to be wrangled, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if the same issue would uh, would mm-hmm. apply to Johansson's work. But again, I think he's important enough, and I think there's enough of a demand from his fans and and, and people who are just interested in film music in general that they would want to hear uh, an, an unreleased score, particularly to a film that is as popular and as uh, highly regarded and well known as a Blade Runner sequel. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, there is. I mean, it's not. It's not as though uh, he's the first artist to die long before his time. But I think there is something about. You know, we were all kind of ramping up. You know, he'd gotten two Oscar nominations. Like he was, he was really get, starting to be on the on the radar mm-hmm. in a serious way for film fans, and to have it just be cut off like that, you know. Somebody like a Philip Seymour Hoffman, obviously, had he lived longer, it just would have been one, you know, uh, several more great performances. But he has a pretty deep uh, catalog of great performances that you can return to. And he was around long enough to have impacted and influenced future generations of actors. With someone like a Johan Johansson and the fact that he died young but also didn't have that deep of a catalog that people would know, I... I like to believe that that he will that he will have an impact on younger composers, but it's hard to know if that's the case. And my hope is that he will not be forgotten uh, over time. And just because I, I think listening to this music, um, some of it I was familiar with, some of it I wasn't, um, made me realize that he really was one of the most interesting composers working today. And it is a it, it is very sad that he mm-hmm. is gone at forty eight. Yeah, it's, it's a real shame, and it would be nice that uh, there was some influence that he had on some up and coming composers who would take the uh, the ideas and the concepts that he applied to his music, and they could apply it to their music and and sort of carry that forward and continue that level of innovation that he was working with. Well. This has been uh, enlightening and uh, sad, but also kind of, I'd like to think, a celebration Mm -hmm. uh, in a way as well. Um, 
thanks again for coming and talking music with us. Well, thanks for having me. It's always uh, great to be here. Um, real Even quick. though I've never been here before. That's true. This is your first time in the new, <laughs> in the new studio. The new studio. Uh, yeah, you can um, find us at battleshippretension.com. You can email us, David at battleshippretension.com or Tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Pretension. You can follow Tyler at Tyler Pretension. Tyler has another podcast. It's called More Than One Lesson and a website at morethanonelesson.com. Yeah, there's, sadly, there is nothing uh, going on as of right now just because I was sick and wasn't mm-hmm. able to record anything. But... Um, I believe you can read my review of Infinity War over there, yeah. right? Yeah, by okay. now. Yes. By now, yes. Yes. So yeah, you can you can uh, head on over and, and check that out. You can read my review of Infinity War uh, at BattleshipRetention.com. I had a dream last night that I saw Infinity War and it sucked. <laughs> uh, that could very well become a reality. Yeah, uh, I would say this is the first, I mean... Uh, I'm not really looking forward to it simply because I've never seen uh, who's directing it. The, the Russos. Russo I've never seen anything they've done. So well, they did what the Winter Captain Soldier is really yeah. good. Yeah, I think I didn't love Civil War though. Uh, yeah, Civil the, what we're getting into now. I mean, uh, yeah, I think that uh, Winter Soldier. That's I th- that's pretty much my favorite of the Marvel movies so it's far. Uh, the thing that you're starting to see with Civil War is that these movies are starting to get overstuffed. And that is my greatest fear yeah. with uh, the Infinity thing is that there's going to be an infinite number of characters in there and it's going to be impossible to uh, keep up with all of them and give all of them enough time and blah, 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 and fart, yeah. fart, fart. And I'm just, I'm worried about it. I really am by this point because the Civil War just felt like a prelude to like a super overstuffed Marvel movie. There was, I was reading, uh, there have been a few articles that say like, like, Oh, they, they speculate on secret cameos for characters that we, that haven't been announced. And I thought, aren't there enough yeah. characters that we already know about? But there's so many in the Marvel yeah. universe that, you know, I mean, that's, that's the thing that they can just keep going and going with this. Yeah. And I mean, and as my understanding, I mean, this, this infinity war movie, I mean, that's like the first of two parts, right? That's how that, overstuffed oh, this right. thing is. That's what they said initially. <laughs> Like this was meant, this was going to be Infinity War Part One, and then next year is going to be Part Two. I think they stopped saying that. This is now just officially Infinity War, and then next year whatever is, is next untitled year. Avengers Four, semi Infinity War. Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find those. Where where can people find you, uh, West? Oh well, of course uh, you can find my show on uh, your website, BattleshipPretension.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Doctor West Anthony, not a real doctor, and uh, you can follow the uh, my podcast at Notation Pod on Twitter. Thanks again for coming. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 